0: listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host Steve Cooper and remember I'm only as hip as my guests. I'm gonna tell you we have a great show today. We have a gentleman who is not only in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for his work with Genesis but as a solo artist he's recorded I believe it's 26 albums. I, I may be wrong I may be 25 but his work is amazing. He's a legend and my guest is Steve Hackett. How you doing Steve?
1: Very well, thank you. Nice to
0: talk to you, Steve. Nice to talk to you. Now, i got to ask you, you you started your career off with Genesis. How did they find you?
1: Uh, Well, in those days, um, we used to advertise ourselves in the back of a a, a trade magazine called Melody Maker. And um, a lot of British bands were formed that day. A lot of bands that became very big were kicked off that way. Uh, so yeah, that was all important That The magazine doesn't exist anymore But some of the bands that were formed from those back pages Are still around
0: So you answer an ad for that And then you join the band And then your career just starts to take off
1: uh, Yeah, well, you know It was five years of ads in, in, the, in, in the back of that magazine and um, So it wasn't entirely instant And it took a while for the band to take off uh yeah you know um it was it was a slow burn Genesis was a slow burn at first, especially in the states. people didn't always understand what we were doing it wasn't really straight ahead rock um, it was a lot more subtle and very very British, very eccentric, but luckily it happened in the end
0: now I've read that you didn't pick the guitar up till around you were twelve years old. How did you become such an amazing guitarist, someone who influenced Eddie Van Halen and Alex, Alex Leafson and a bunch of people. What was your course? Did you just practice all the time or how did your music talent just blossom? Well,
1: uh, you know, I was playing harmonica 10 years before that. Um, and um, so since I was two, I was trying to make noises on, on, uh, on the harmonica just like my dad. And then um, guitar started to interest me when I was 12 and I was t- still a little bit too small to get my arms around my dad's guitar. Um, by the time I was 14, I was trying to work out chords so just single lines on the two play strings. Um, and um, ever since then, you know, that, 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 was, a, that was a very, uh, that early guitar was had a brutal action on it and really, really heavy strings. But then a friend of mine had um, a nylon strung guitar, and uh, that seemed so easy by comparison. So over time, I, I got interested in uh, um, a, a nylon work just as much as electric.
0: So did you pick it up very fast as you were as you were developing? Like by the time you were in Genesis, because I know you had a uh, influence on some of Genesis' sound. Because I believe they were like a, more of a bluesy band, and you brought more of the progressive prog rock into it. How did you find that voice when you played guitar? Uh,
1: Well, you know, it's a very difficult thing to say. I think what happened was um, I I, I was very interested in blues, blues guitar and blues harmonica, Uh, loved all of that. And then I think uh, music started to change towards the end of the the 1960s. The influence of the Beatles, of course, working with orchestras and with George Martin, uh, and the Indian influence meant that, that uh, rock and pop, it, it was becoming a much broader palette, and um, um, people that had that been influenced by jazz were becoming involved with bands, and um, uh, also the influence of classical music and, and um, the use of harmony was becoming a very big deal. So um, there were several bands that mixed all of that, uh, uh, british bands in the main. And, uh, and Genesis was, was a, a band full of guys who were all into different things. I mean, Phil Collins was, loved big band stuff and, um, Mel Torme, Buddy Rich, uh, Pete was into, um, he, he liked bluesy stuff. Um, and, and, um, I guess there, you know, quite a lot of black singers that he was, um, influenced uh, by and um my brother foot so tended to like folk music in the main uh Judy Collins, that kind of stuff. Tony Tony Banks, um, it was really um classical music I think had been a very big thing. Shostakovich I know he he mentioned and um I believe that his mother played classical piano as well. So I suspect he probably had all uh, the lessons and, uh, and all of that. But I think that he, uh, very early on, he liked to try and write his own things. Once he found he could work out the cause to most of the Beatles tunes, um, I think there was no stopping him. So I think he had probably the most uh, developed sense of harmony of all of us.
0: Now, what do you think helped break Genesis in America? Because I remember, you know, the early work, everyone loved it, and it was different. What do you think helped break you guys over here?
1: Well, I think um, the lead singer at that time was Peter Gabriel, um, and um, once he started to incorporate theatrics with the show, um, that really changed the audience perception, and and um, suddenly media had something that they could write about, um, because much of the music was the same. We might have been playing some of that music, you know, two years before it really took off. But by the by the time he was really um, depicting the action or living the songs live, um, you had something that was similar in a way, I think, to uh, perhaps what Bowie was doing. And um, Alice Cooper, of course, in the States, you know, put on a great show, was a great showman. But I think that Pete, you know, had that ability to not just sing but act, and and tell stories, and so I think that, that you know the band represented all things British. By the time we were doing selling England by the pound, I think the, the band had found a focus. And um, so where, wherever we played internationally, we were apparently selling, selling England. We were we were um, I think we were nailing our colours to the mast. We we were um, we were all things. Uh, British and, uh, and eccentric and weird and um, kind of strange. <clears throat> Most of us sat down to play at that time, and Pete uh, Pete leapt around everywhere around the stage. And thank God he did. Most of us were all kind of head down, just getting on with the music.
0: Now you had you wrote some with Genesis, and of course you've had such a so many solo albums that you write a lot. When did you start writing music?
1: I think just before Genesis, um, I was with a band called Quiet World. Um, a year before Genesis, and um, whilst um, the other guys, when I when I joined them, they already had a recording contract. There were three brothers, uh, the Heather brothers, and uh, they were all you know writing the stuff. But occasionally, I, I'd kick in with uh, uh, with things, and um, writing started pretty early on for me. I also befriended um, during that time, Ian MacDonald who had just left King Crimson and was about to do um, a solo album along with Michael Giles, so McDonald Giles. Um, he just was making that album when I befriended him, and um, he said he liked the stuff that I was playing with the band, and um, uh, so yeah. And, and, and then, of course, he was he was due to uh, a very shortly form Foreigner. So by the time we were touring with Genesis in the states, very very early days, uh, Foreigner had just been um, just been formed and they, they were having a hit with feels like the first time I think was their the, their first single.
0: Now, in some of the Genesis songs, your guitar solos are incorporated. How does that come up in the writing process? Do you have input on that and say, if someone else writes a song, and you say, I think there should be, do you say, I think there should be a solo there? Or do they know how you play and how good you are, that they would just sit there and write that solo for you? Well, no,
1: what tended to happen was, um, when I first joined, um, Pete said to me... um, we work as a as a songwriters collective, like a like a songwriters co-op, and um, uh, he said, as soon as you write the guitar part, you're you're um, you're basically a, you know a fully fledged, fully paid-up member of the writing team, and so um, the emphasis with Genesis in those days was um, not so much freestyle, but um, the idea of having a written melody so that when you soloed, you had you had a certain standard that um, the show wasn't on a fall below. So Genesis was very much concerned with this idea of form and, uh, you know, many of the other bands that I've been involved with, you know, sort of blues type stuff. Uh, the Spirit was was um, was more to the fore, whereas Genesis, it was very much more, you've got to have the form to the stuff. So you, you had to either write or learn how to write.
0: Now... Eddie Van Halen credited, uh, said you're one of his influences, and I believe you started the double tap. How did you become innovative on the guitar? What made you play differently than other people who were playing at that time?
1: Well, uh, we did an album called Sunny England by the Pound in 1973, and um, say, for instance, uh, uh, the first track was called Dancing with the Moonlit Night. Now, there's a guitar solo in that which features tapping, and um, it features uh, sweep picking and octave jumps it's all actually in in one prototype solo and all of those things have become um well part of part of the dictionary of shredders and, and heavy metal more so that than than really progressive but um um i don't know how that happened i just i was looking for things to play that were different to everyone else and and Eddie Van Halen uh, uh, credits me with with, uh, with inventing that. So um, he named it. I was playing it. <laughs> and many of those techniques didn't have names when I was first doing them. And, um, you know, they were things that came naturally to me.
0: So Genesis is popular by this time. They're getting very popular when you're recording albums. What made you the decision to leave? I know you recorded your first solo album when you were with Genesis, But what made you, what gave you the decision to decide to leave Genesis? Because a lot of people would sit there and go, I'm part of a huge band, I'm going to stay. Yeah. What made you decide to do it? And kudos to you, because a lot of people wouldn't have done it.
1: Yeah, well, um, I think, you know, I had had a hit album with um, uh, Voyage of the Acolyte, the first one. And um, uh, I think when you have a hit and you are a member of a band uh, that is a very competitive band um, uh, it's ironic you know that that, um, Mike Rutherford actually helped me um, uh, on the album and so did Phil Um, but you know once it took off um, um, the accusation started to fly in terms of of, uh, you're not giving everything to the band and, and I said well you know if you if you give me a sort of a guaranteed slice of the writing, I can, you know, I can um, maybe submerge all my kind of solo uh, stuff, but I don't want to just be uh, hired by you guys. And um, that wasn't acceptable. Um, The idea of having a parallel solo career wasn't acceptable. And it was the same thing with Pete, Pete wanted to have a, a, a separate solo career, uh, uh, and uh, Mike and Tony were, were not keen on him doing that, and they were not keen on me having a parallel solo career, but, you know, when you've had a, a hit album on your own, your, your record company, or record companies as it were, you know, um, the pressure was on, like, you know, can we have the next one from you, and... Um, at that time, suddenly, um, when you're captain of your own ship, even for a short time, it's difficult to go back to being a member of the crew. Even though, with a band like Genesis, of course, uh, I joined on the basis of being, you know, a full, a full member and uh, 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 and uh, an equal writing partner. But I think that's not quite how it how it worked. Uh, you know, when I was being dictated to by. Uh, some of the founder members. So, um, but the God's honest truth.
0: So you leave. It's uh, it's the late seventies. You're on your own. Are yep. you? Are you now feeling a little bit not nervous, but you already had a hit record. But now you don't have Genesis to fall back on. So now it's just you know balls to the walls for you. What's going through your mind when you when you have to do that second? record, because your first one was a hit, you're on your own now, what's going through your mind as an artist, and and with your writing ability?
1: Well, I wanted to make an album, the second album, um, I wanted it to be like one of those um, early CBS sampler albums, They they had a bunch of albums called The Rock Machine Loves You, and, um, um, At that time, you know, they had Simon and Garfunkel and and the Zombies and the Grateful Dead, and they put all these artists side by side on this sampler album, because they had a great roster of acts. Um, And I wanted to do a personal album that that sounded like it was coming from a number of different artists. So I worked with um, um, an extremely varied vocal team, um, Richie Havens, Steve Walsh of Kansas, um, Randy Crawford. Um, and, um, so I did, I, I did an album that was, um, extremely, uh, e- extremely varied. And, um, um, it was something that I, I that many years later, um, Stephen Wilson said to me that, that was hugely influential for him. Um, uh, he found that, you know, the variety of things on it, um, things that were part fusion um um many different styles um and that second album actually was was a lot harder um because as you say i was without the band but by the time i'd done the third album i had a i had a touring band and i i had three albums to draw from plus anything of genesis that i wanted to throw in there so um Gradually, things started to take shape.
0: Well, you know, you've, you've been around, you've, you've gone through many different generations. When you hit the 80s, what do you do? Do you stick to your guns and your musical vision, or do you sit there and think, you know, the sounds, the songs, what we hear is all changing?
1: Um, there was a sense of everything changing, and um, I remember meeting Steve Howe and talking about you know, the way... Uh, things were on the change and um we decided to form a band together and call it gtr short for guitar and um we luckily were signed to aristotle records with clive davis and we had a gold album we had a hit single with when the heart rolls the mind um and um luckily um MTV was prepared to um, get behind us big time and um, so every hour or so you, you've got you know this single on there uh, we, we had a band of, of younger guys we were two vets by that time and um, a bunch of young, young guys who were playing and singing with us and um, the album did very well so there was a response to um, what happened in, in the 80s Uh, and we started to have the occasional hit single because um, uh, companies were very concerned with the shift from albums-based acts to singles-based. The fact that you had video, the fact that you had MTV, uh, it reigned supreme at that time. Of course, people like me um, were really keen on making albums, That that's the whole thing, so I didn't really come out of a singles based culture uh, the 1970s was really all about albums, it was all about the journey that the, that the songs t- took you on And um, I still feel the same way I'm not averse to having the occasional hit single and I have done, but um, in the main I think uh, the value of a really great album I think has got to outweigh any effect of having even
0: a massive hit single? When you attack the idea of an album, because I'm I'm an old I'm an album person. You know, I love looking at the cover art and looking at the track selections. When you when you write and you, as as you've you've done over 25 albums, I believe. I, I don't know, was 25 or 26. I was counting and I got thrown off. I was like, wait, is this one or is this one? Um, but when you do an album, even from then and to this day, do you sit there and? plan it and write it so you know your listener and your fans will appreciate it to the utmost?
1: Well, I think um, nobody sits down and tries to make an album that doesn't appeal to people. Um, I think that um, you need to strike a balance between being true to yourself and having an idea what an audience might actually like. Um... So, for instance, with the latest album, um, I really love orchestras working with bands, and we've used a lot of orchestras, um, a lot of orchestral textures, and um, and the influence of world music. So that um, there's nothing wrong with having playing, someone playing the duduk from Armenia or the tar from Azerbaijan, and sitar from from India, and so. The albums I do tend to be full of this kind of stuff, as well as uh, rock as we know it. So uh, the idea is to try and broaden the music as much as possible and to try and tell a story with each tune, I think.
0: Now, when do you know it's time for another album? Because, you know, I looked through your career. You had some that was like, you had two in one year. You had some that's a year difference. Some there's three years. How do you... Do that creative process where you sit there and go do you just sit there and go it's time for another album I'm going to start writing again or do you put yourself on a schedule
1: well I think what tends to happen is um, there'll be one song will come first of all um, uh, normally I think you need uh, two phrases or, or two chords and something some sort of friction between the two some kind of uh, link some kind of dna cable or something like that um something is going to spark your interest to complete a whole song uh, and it's usually a, a powerful phrase that you can't ignore and then i find that i build outwards from that so i'll be thinking oh this is a perfect song and then i'll be thinking oh maybe it could have um an introduction to the song proper and um, it might extend to involve solos or other sections so i can extend it from that initial spark, uh, forwards or backwards, and I think once you've done one thing, you tend to dream up whatever else might go with it. It's it's a bit like dreaming up a family, and you think, oh, we you know we've got some aunts and uncles here, and, and it needs a few cousins. And um, um, there's no way of really describing the, the songwriting process. It's it's a magical process. Things just pop into your head. Um, when you least expect it, and, and, and what I do is I write things down all the time on paper. I, I, I tend to work on paper. Uh, that's the way I remember things. So I might be on an airplane heading off somewhere, and if I get an idea, it goes straight down on paper. If it still haunts me long enough, it turns into a song.
0: Now, you said there's, you can't really explain the songwriting process, but you've been writing, I mean, from your first solo album to now, you're looking at that's over 40 years through the years, has your writing process, even has your writing process, changed in with what you write about?
1: Um, well, I think the process has changed. Um, um, I do write quite a bit with my wife, Jo. Um, often, we'll kick around a lyr- lyrical idea between us. It might be something that comes from me, or it might be from her. Um, like, for instance, one of the tracks on the latest album is about India. And I've been to India, but Joe has been twice. She was there before me, and, and the song Shadow and Flame um, is really about her experience of watching the light come up over the Ganges uh, in a place called Varanasi. A very, very beautiful place as the lights coming up with candles and, and bathers, but at the same time, you know, there are bodies floating down uh, the river because that's the way it, it, it works out there. And so we wanted something that reflected uh, both the mystical and the spiritual side of, of India, but also the hustle and bustle of Mumbai and and such places. So the whole song is, is a kind of, um, it's a little bit like a film, but for the, for the ear rather than the eye.
0: Now, the latest album is came out, and now I believe you're starting your tour in two weeks, I believe, in, is it in Norway? No, I know it's, it's somewhere in Europe.
1: Uh, we start off in Ostend. We, we, we kick off in Ostend, in, in yeah. Now,
0: what can people expect to hear when they come to see you? Do you like to concentrate on a lot of the new album? Because I'm sure you're very proud of it. You know, it's something that, you know, you put it out, so you have to like it. What do you like to, what do you like to give your audiences when you go start touring?
1: Well, uh, this time I'm going to be doing um, part of what I do. It's part solo, but it's also uh, part Genesis. I, I've divided you know, the show up into, into two halves in a way, uh, where we feature the solo stuff, we feature the Genesis stuff. Now, this time I'm going to feature things from uh, uh, three albums. It's going to be the whole of Selling England by the Pound, um, that 1973 album that that, that, that piqued uh, John Lennon's interest in us, um, plus I'll be including a track um, that was part of those writing sessions but didn't make it onto the album, which is something that Peter Gabriel wrote, and, and then I finished it off many years later with his cooperation and blessing. Uh, a track called Deja Vu, we'll be doing that one. So we did the complete Selling England by The Pound with the, with that deleted scene in it, which is important to me. And we're, we're going to do quite a bit of um, uh, Spectral Morning, which is an album I was involved with, a uh, solo album, uh, the year 1979. Um, uh, and I'll also do stuff from, um, from the new album, At, At the Edge of Light. So it's going to focus on three albums.
0: Now, is it... Not weird, but is it something different? Because you, you played some of that Genesis stuff so early in your career with Genesis. Now you're playing it with different musicians. How does that gel for yeah. you for stage? Or are you just, you know what you do and people are there to see you? How does that work? Um, well, I think that many of the guys
1: that I've worked with uh, who are hugely talented, um, these guys are a bit younger than me. And... Um, they grew up listening to the Genesis stuff. So they've been hugely influenced by it. Um, and, um, it makes it much easier to do very authentic renditions of these songs, very authentic, but to take them a stage further from time to time. Um, uh, hopefully to do everything that's iconic about those songs, but then, um, to extend things and, um, and not just do little sort of brief bits with segues and with a brief nod to the 70s. We want to give people the full the full picture and some things that they perhaps didn't expect with that as well. So you get everything that you had at one time and more because I'm, I'm very proud of this, this early work and um, I think that, that particular album I've noticed is a lot of people's favourite Genesis album. It, it's certainly mine and the, there are many... Great Genesis albums, I think. But uh, that one somehow encapsulates a time when we were still striving like crazy to make our mark. And luckily, uh, John Lennon responded very positively to us and said that we were one of the bands that he was listening to at the time. So even though I left the band uh, in, in in a way and uh, of course there is no genesis right now it's it's the nearest thing to that experience and so i, I, I revisit that i've done two albums with it, which have revisited that um, genesis time with lots of guests on it many of them are very well known and it's been marvelous to do it and and orchestrate it further so band and orchestra i've sometimes toured with orchestra as well um and it's a very interesting time because you get the best of the past and, and, and you know, all respect with that and um, um, but also to keep making new albums and still to be passionate about it, which is my my other thing. So um, well, we have to move forward at the same time. Keep the museum doors open.
0: Exactly. I know you have to go because you have another interview but real quick I want to ask you, what was your experience when you got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and are you happy that you have, that such an honor that people, that you'll go down in music history
1: Well, you know, uh, I think it's a great thing that that you have in the States which is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame we we don't really have any equivalent of that um, in England and indeed not really in the rest of the world Um, but the nice thing about that is that um, you know, sometimes people will be inducted if not in their lifetime eventually it's as if people receive Medals, uh, and I was thrilled that you know the Paul Butterfield Blues Band uh, was inducted a while back, and and yes, unfortunately it didn't happen within the lifetime of my great friend Chris Squire, who was such an influence on bass players and progressive music, you know, throughout the world. Um, but eventually, um, um, yeah, time has a, has a habit of, of of catching up, and so I think if anyone does something really extraordinary, and they they stuck to their guns there's a chance that they will be honored so you know there were there were people um at that show at that that evening who were um yeah they were genesis contemporaries There were guys who were older who were getting up and doing it you know jimmy cliff and it was sounding in great voice and Abba were inducted the, the same night and um speeches by people like David Geffen and Michael Douglas was in the audience. My God, you know, it was the whole thing was star studied and I gave it I had a chance to give a little speech and um I thought it was absolutely wonderful and very very emotionally I and mean, then once everyone, you know, realised that it didn't just have to be a stuffed shirt affair, I, I felt that the, you know, the emotional temperature of everybody was just going up and up and up as the night progressed, and it was a genuine response to people who got
0: up and performed. Well, you know, I want to thank you for taking the time. Your tour, you went you, you're touring and then you come to America, I know you're playing in my area in September for two shows at the Keswick Theater, which is a great little thank place you. to play. And uh, so, yeah, I want to thank you. And people, check out Steve's website it's com, and check him out on Twitter. It's uh, official hacket. And I'm Steve Cooper, only as hip is my guest. Don't forget drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins and have a great day.